Turn with me, please, to Psalm 24. Most of our Bibles, you'll have little headings there. The heading is the King of Glory, a Psalm of David. Actually, a very triumphant psalm that I pray that God will open our eyes and hearts to this morning and see the beauty not only of this psalm, but the beauty of the gospel. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God, the God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Selah. Last couple of months, I've been involved in a situation um, where I've learned a lot. It's a situation in which uh, my in-laws owned a home in Canyon City, a rental home. And they'd come to a point in which uh, my father-in-law passed in July, was trying to kind of settle things uh, so that there weren't uh, any, any, anything loose or unanswered questions in case something should happen to him. And so they went to sell the house. The people who had been living there for several years, you know, had for two years been making a plea to, oh, we want to buy it, just let us get the money that we need up to, for a down payment and so on. But it came to a point, it was like, you either need to be able to purchase it or we are going to sell it to someone else. And so they were told that they are going to have to leave. And so 31 August was the last day, 1 September, they were to move out. And they said, no, we're not going anywhere. Oh, that's interesting. And so over the last two or three months, um, I was asked to kind of monitor and, 
and be the buffer between my in-laws and, and the property management as we've kind of seen this process of these tenants and their refusal to acknowledge the desires of the owner. Now I say that to set, and if you're taking notes or anything, I'm going to go through just kind of four simple points here. And the first point is the context of our human existence. And that's what's established for us in verse 1. You know, a context, if you just want to take that word by itself, is, is a series of different circumstances which you put together to draw a picture of which you understand things. And, and that's exactly what I'm talking about here. The first verse here draws a picture and brings together circumstances of which is our reference for life. And that is, the earth is the Lord's. He owns it. He's the owner. That's what we wake up with every day in our minds. I'm a tenant in the world that God owns. And not only does he own it, so to speak, it, it, it goes even beyond. And it says, the earth is the Lord's, and what? And the fullness thereof. Now, what do we mean by the fullness thereof? Well, that means what ever it may produce or whatever it may even bring about. In um, West Texas, my dad used to tell me the story of when he was a little boy. Now, if you've ever been out around West Texas, there's not much there. It's, it's a lot of dirt and a lot of nothing. But several of you maybe know what happened around the Odessa Midland area. Underneath, there was oil. And so, so all of a sudden, people who, by owning that land, really owned a bunch of wasteland, now all of a sudden they became quite wealthy. Because the ground and the area of which they had quote, ownership of, produced far beyond their expectations. So think a little bit. The earth is the Lord's. And now I've just given a little illustration of, of, of a type of production. But it really extends far, far, far beyond that. We think of food. We think of, of the animals. 
We think of the merit, uh, the minerals, but also we even just think of the beauty. The majesty from the mountains, from the oceans, uh, from whatever you, you may see as a beautiful landscape. So it, it, it not only is just a piece of geography, it's all that's encompassed with what we see and what can come from that. The context of our human existence, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And that sets him apart from us. And so, so we have the establishment of the king of glory. And interestingly, in the next little point here, is, is what I would say the biggest question of life. Because right after it establishes the premise of the Lord owning everything, and as the owner of everything, and is more than what our little brains can imagine what it can produce, it has, it, it first what establishes the king of glory. Well, we know as, as his creatures, his, his creation, though, the next question is, who then shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? So the idea then is, all right, I, I, I'm told there's this king of glory, but let me think of it from my own personal perspective and everything. How... Can I have relationship with this king of glory? How can I ascend? He's, he's already been established overall. How can I ascend up there? How is there some way I can be in his presence? How is there anyone who can be his equal? And so you can just go through the list of things. Is it going to be a rich person? Well, even if they had more wealth than any of the billionaires on our planet right now combined, that's still not everything, is it? They still fall very fall short, or fall very short of all that the, the Lord possesses. Well, is it going to be the athlete? Can, can they do it in, in some sort of Away uh, with their, their physical abilities? No. Is it going to be the engineer? Is it going to be the artist? Is it going to be the, the political uh, king of, of, of whatever, or, or military conqueror? Is it going to be the scientist? And we see all of these things in which we try to achieve of which perhaps in somehow our, our brains and our thoughts we try to ascend to and become something in ourselves compared to the king of glory, it's somewhat laughable. Now, God's given us gifts. I'm not, I'm not diminishing or, 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 or 
taking away from, from the way God's gifted different people to exercise uh, the brains and talents that they have. But if we look at it in a sense of ourselves becoming something of which could ascend to, to the level of the king of glory, it's laughable. And see, sometimes we even think, well, okay, I know I can't do it with money. I know I can't do it um, with, with my um, intelligence or looks or something else. But maybe if I'm religious enough. Maybe if I just offer enough sacrifices. But we'll see that even that, as a means, can fall short, very short. So who can ascend? We're left a little bit speechless when it comes to ourselves. Because none have neither the capacity nor the capability to ascend or stand with God. And we're reminded in Isaiah chapter 40, where the prophet says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marked off the heavens with a span, or enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, or weighed the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Who did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him in the paths of justice or taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? In verse 18, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? The answer is none. And so in a sense, a person would then become a little bit despondent because we find ourselves falling short. And in the third point I would bring here to you begins in verse 4. Because, and then now we, only, we talk about God's standard of who can ascend and who can stand in his holy place. And we become even more uh, concerned because we know we can't do it with our, our intelligence. We, we know we can't do it with our money. Uh, there's so many things that we fall so short. Um, and then we see God's standard. What is the standard? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So many times when we fall our, find ourselves falling so short, we will then turn to the religious and say, perhaps if I just do enough religiously, then I'll be able to ascend or stand. But we see here the standard for God is, is not legal. It's not in works, but it's in moral purity. Reminded of the question of the rich young ruler 
when he came to Christ. And he asked him the question, Lord, what must I do to obtain eternal life? It's a little bit subtle shift here from what the psalmist here is talking about, who may ascend. And the rich young ruler wanted to know, what do I need to do? He was looking for ways in which he could obtain righteousness through works. And what did Christ say? Well, what do the commandments say? And so they, they go through some of the commandments. And, and he justifies himself. He's like, hey, I've checked the block here. I've done really good. And then what does Christ say? Go and sell all you have and give to the poor. Now, was that another work? I would suggest to you it was not. It was a test of the heart. And his heart was far from doing that. And he, that was his treasure. And so he was not willing to do that. And it says he went away sad because he did not have the clean hands or the pure heart. He was willing to do all sorts of religious things. But in the end, it was a question of who was able to do this, not what are you able to do. And so it's left there at the end of verse 6 in Psalm 24. It's interesting place. You know, if, if you're familiar with where, where the, the Psalms come in with the word Selah, there's been many different things put forward as far as what that may mean. But I think what's fairly clear in many of them, it is it a chance to pause And it's even kind of a little bit of of change sometimes of topic and mood of the psalm. And I think it's very much true for us here in this psalm. Because it is in the first six verses, it is set up for us our context of human existence. We're tenants of the one who owns it all, the king of glory. And the question of life for us is who can ascend to have relationship with this king of glory? And, and we're, we're left short. We're, we're left still searching because none of us have the capacity or the capability because it explains to us God's standard, which is not a standard of works, which is not a standard of us achieving or what we can do, we're still left with the question, who? For the only way in which we can stand in God's presence is to have a righteousness impugned to us. And you might say there's then a pause in the psalm. But the psalmist doesn't leave us in despair. Because not only does he give us God's standard, though, even here looking forward, as 
David himself, the king of Israel, the Lord's anointed, the thing of whom so God made a covenant with and made his promises to, realized he was not the one who could go and ascend on his own, um, but it was someone else. But they are not left in despair because beginning in verse 7, we are told, lift up your heads, O gates. Kind of a, as, as you go through that, you could almost see people kind of going, wow, this is, I just don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be stuck in my sin. I'm never going to be able to ascend and be in the presence of God. And it's like, says, no, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. This, I believe, is very much the, the same sort of, of sense and thought that's given to us in, in Romans chapter 7. When the Apostle Paul is writing, so he says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God and in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But he switches so quickly from that question of which, which not knowing the answer is despair by saying, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We go also to, to Philippians where the apostle Paul also writes to us in chapter 2, verse 7, speaking of Jesus Christ, but who made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has ex highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Hebrews tells us, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. In other words, with a clean hand and a pure heart. One more reference in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John. This passage in imagery where he's talking about being, seeing a, a vision in heaven. And he, 
and he sees the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Presented throughout the New Testament, we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Not come just to be a good teacher, a man of good works, of which he was surely both, but one to be a man of clean hands and a pure heart, who has the capacity and the capability to ascend and stand with God. And through his obedience, through his death on the cross, and yes, through his resurrection, he reigns the king of glory. And so we, as tenants, can take hope. I only told you just most of the story with the tenants in my in-law's home. So, went through the court system and uh, uh, some lawyers got involved and so, any, and so it was a very slow, methodical process in which there was emotional pain, some financial pain, and it reminded me very much of the parable in Mark chapter 12 where you have the parable of the tenants in which... The owner was away, and he kept sending people to come see how things were going in his vineyard. And what did they do? They were like, you know, if we beat these people, if we kill his messengers, somehow that would give them power. Into which finally... The owner said, I'm going to send my son because I've had enough of this. Surely they're going to respect my son. To which they hadn't respected the owner to then, and they weren't going to start respecting the owner now, and so they killed the son. And so what happened? The owner was very patient. The owner actually was very merciful. 
But in the end, brothers and sisters, there's a difference between being an owner and a tenant. This last week, I had to show up, and the tenants had to be evicted. Nobody enjoyed it. Nobody took any delight in any of it. But the owner... and I'm speaking God, was going to see that the rights of his son were carried out. So I guess my appeal to you this morning as we come to Psalm 24 It's actually a very triumphant psalm. When you understand your role as a tenant and rejoice in it, not try to skirt or get away from it or to try to manipulate it in some other way, which is so much our human sinful nature. To try to do something in our means, in our wisdom, and in our strength. Whereas really, the owner is saying, acknowledge the king of glory. And by submitting yourself to the king of glory righteousness will be imputed to you and then you will only through Jesus Christ be able to ascend and stand in the presence of God let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you that you own all things. There's not a square inch of this earth above, below, or on the surface that you do not own. Forgive us when we start to think that there's something in ourselves in which we could even come to compare with you. So we pray that you would humble us And that as you have prepared for us the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would look to him to find standing with you. That we would look to the king of glory, the one who came to earth in the form of a servant, took on flesh, but lived sinlessly, who indeed had clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, we thank you for Christ coming and paying 
for our sins. And being the way in which we not only find our salvation, but find our standing with you. So, Lord, when we see these things, may we, as this psalm does, rejoice. Be able to lift our heads and our voices high for the great, magnificent, and awesome salvation that you have worked. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.